Hey, you're listening to a sermon from Ketchikan Church of the Nazarene. Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information about our church, you can visit ktnnaz.org, visit us on Facebook, just search Ketchikan Naz, or you can download our free app from the iPhone store or the Google Play store, just search Ketchikan Naz. Thanks for visiting. Hope the Word of God speaks to you today. So, you know, pastor's been working through this uh, Nacho series, and so this morning we're going to continue with the final one called Nacho Sermon. <laughs> now, for those of you who haven't been here, uh, <laughs> it's a little joke here, um, but pastor has been working through a series on, on things that aren't ours, and last week we talked about how it's, it's not your book, Nacho Book, and talked about how the Bible is not ours. But this morning, as Pastor already mentioned, it is Pentecost Sunday, so we'll be taking a look in the book of Acts. So if you have your Bible this morning, I encourage you to take out your Bible and turn to the book of Acts. We'll start in chapter 1. And if you don't have a Bible this morning, and the chairs in front of you, there should be copies of the Bible there. If you don't have a copy of the Bible, you're more than welcome to take that uh, as so you can have uh, a copy of your own. So this morning, just like we mentioned, we're going to be talking about... Pentecost. So, pastor asked me about a month or so ago if I would be willing to speak this morning. He said it's Pentecost Sunday, so maybe you want to do a sermon on the Pentecost. And you know, I'd never actually uh, done a sermon or even really taught much about the Pentecost except to youth. And so it was kind of a, a, a neat opportunity for me to think about um, how God would would prepare my heart, prepare uh, a sermon for today in, in the context of the Pentecost. And this last month, I've been, as Pastor mentioned, I'm the principal of the high school, so we've spent a lot of days and hours preparing for these graduates to actually get through their final days of school. And it's kind of exciting because as, as we think about the years that they've had at school, I mean, hopefully 13 years, counting kindergarten, that they have been preparing for this moment to walk across the stage and receive this diploma and to move on through life. And if you went to the graduation ceremony last week, I mentioned that we were going to be handing them their walking papers. You know, the idea that here you go, we've done all this preparation for you, we've done everything we possibly can, now it's time for you to move on and to do something with all of that preparation. And I don't know if you remember back to your high school days, but there was a lot of anxiety on graduation day and around graduation. All those thoughts of what's going to be next in my life? What does God want me to do with my life? Where am I going to go? What's the occupation that God wants me to, to be a part of? Now, not all students think of it in that context, but there's still a lot of anxiety thinking about what it is the future holds. I'm not really sure. Well, in the beginning of the book of Acts, we see that the disciples are kind of in a similar situation. They have been prepared. They were chosen by Jesus. Remember, he asked them to follow him because he was going to make them fishers of men. And he took them from their different occupations and said, be with me, follow me, I want to make you my disciples. And for three years... Jesus prepared these men, gave them opportunities to minister in all kinds of ways, showed them exactly what it meant to be a follower of Christ, and showed them all the power that Christ had. You know, through those times, Jesus explained to them that one day he would leave them, one day that he would go back to heaven where he belonged. And as you search the gospels, you see that the disciples struggled with this idea. They didn't really understand what that meant. They didn't really know what was going to happen. Jesus kept saying they were leaving. There were times when they would say, oh, Jesus, that's not going to happen. We appreciate that, but we'll keep on. And then, you know, eventually Jesus explained to them they were going to die. Or he was going to die. And what did Peter say? No, Lord, that can't happen to you. And immediately 
Jesus rebuked him and said, this is not your will. This is the Father's will. God wants me to die. This is how it has to be. But they were still perplexed, still trying to figure this out. And they didn't really fully understand all that was going to happen. And after Jesus' death and resurrection, he gave them the most important task, of which is moving on, is to continue to make disciples. We learned several weeks ago from our pastor that that's why we were put on this earth, to make disciples. And they finally were going to have to do exactly what they've been trained to do. But today, like I said, is Pentecost Sunday. And so what does that mean exactly? Well, as Pastor mentioned earlier, this is the day that uh, is celebrated in Christendom where uh, the Holy Spirit came and baptized the disciples. And they were finally received the helper that Jesus had promised all those times. But prior to it being the day that the Holy Spirit came, it was actually a festival that took place in the Jewish tradition. Pentecost literally means 50th. And it's also known as the Festival of Weeks because it's seven weeks after Passover. And in this time, they are celebrating uh, some of those things that God had provided through the harvest. And also through tradition, we find out that, that this is also the time that is recognized as the, the moment when Moses would receive the law on Mount Sinai. And so a lot of people were in Jerusalem at this time. They'd come to Jerusalem to, uh, to sacrifice and to, to give their, their uh, um, gifts to the Lord and to, to praise God for all that he had done. So there's going to be a lot of people here in Jerusalem. But what we see here is that disciples have been through a lot in the last 40 days. So it's almost like here comes their graduation day. They've spent those years working with Jesus. They know exactly where Jesus wanted them to go and how to do it. But yet there still was this anxiety. What's next? Jesus died. He didn't stay dead. Praise the Lord. Amen. He was resurrected. And after the resurrection, he appeared to them different times. And I'm sure it was frustrating for them at times to, to want to spend all that 40 days with him and to know exactly what his next plan, what his next step was. And, but this really was Jesus' preparation time, these 40 days of reminding them that eventually he's going to be gone for good. And that they need to figure out how to move on without them. So let's take a look at Acts chapter 1 and see where we're at here in this particular time in history. So in Acts chapter 1, the first 11 verses reads like this. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So right here in these few verses here, we see Luke, who is the author of Acts, talk about how Jesus continued to reveal himself in these 40 days. And there was many proofs. What does that mean exactly? We don't know. But it was very important in this time that, that they recognized that he really had been resurrected. Because the salvation message, the gospel message, doesn't work without the resurrection of Jesus. And so he worked through them in those, those 40 days. And in verse 4, And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, Will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. 
And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who is taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So Jesus tells them, don't leave Jerusalem. I need you to stay here. The gift that I wanted you to have, this baptism of the Spirit, it's coming soon. And I know you don't recognize what that means or what this is all about, but just trust me, I need you to stay here in Jerusalem. And the disciples had heard this reference many times, not only from John the baptizer, but also from Jesus himself. He mentioned several times that the Holy Spirit would be coming. And he didn't describe him as the Holy Spirit. He said a helper will be sent and would remind them of what Jesus had taught them. And would be there to make sure that as they continue this ministry of discipleship, that it would focus their attention on exactly all the things that they had been trained to do. And in verse 6, we see still that the, the disciples struggled with the understanding of exactly who Jesus was. They knew he was the Messiah. They knew now that salvation came through him through his resurrection. But they still were waiting for this earthly kingdom to be established. And so they asked him again, is this the time? That you're going to restore your kingdom? Is this the time that you're going to set up your earthly reign? And Jesus could have easily rebuked them and said, have you learned nothing yet? I mean, how many times have we talked about this? But instead he doesn't. He recognizes where they're at. He knows that they... Is that a submarine? <laughs> Depth finders going on. Okay. Search your soul. Is that what that's happening? <laughs> i got to find my place. That's the problem. Yeah, silly. But they're still looking for that political kingdom. And again, like I said, Jesus wasn't looking to rebuke them. He knew it would all make sense in a few, few days when the Holy Spirit came. He knew there wouldn't have to be this question ongoing from now on. He understood that these guys had no idea what was about to hit them. And then while they're having this discussion, the unimaginable happens. Now, I say that, but you think of all the different things that they witnessed while they were with Jesus. But still, watching somebody ascend into heaven would be unbelievable. I mean, no wonder they were still standing there gazing in the clouds and had to be told, hey, you need to go. It's time to move. It's time to get to, get to work. But the days during the ascension of the Pentecost, the disciples prayed. They went back to Jerusalem, and it says that they went into an upper room. And if we take a look at the end of chapter 1, which we won't read, but if you continue reading chapter 1, you'll see that disciples went to Jerusalem, went back to the upper room. It could have been the same upper room that they used for the Passover. We don't know, but we do know that it was large enough to not only fill uh, the, the, for the, the 11 apostles who were left, 11 disciples, but there were about 120 actual disciples and followers of Jesus that had been a part of this event. And so this room was filled with these 120 individuals, and in that room they decided to, to choose another person to replace Judas. And as you remember from, from the resurrection story and the crucifixion story, Judas betrayed Jesus. And in his betrayal, he took his own life. And they obviously felt that God wanted him to have a replacement for Judas. So in this room, these men prayed and prayed and spent time together in fellowship and chose another person to replace Judas. So as they were here in Jerusalem and as the, the, the festival of weeks was beginning to occur, these men are still waiting in this upper room. 
And if we start to look at Acts chapter 2, and I'll read through this a little bit, and we'll cover quite a bit of chapter 2 here in a few minutes, but um, in chapter 2, verse 1, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, again, in that upper room. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And this right here is what we celebrate with Pentecost, the coming of the Holy Spirit. Jesus promised that the Helper would come, and he came. But how did he come? He came, it says, as like a mighty rushing wind. I, you know, we live in Ketchikan where we have these pretty high winds, right? So we understand what a mighty wind is like. It doesn't say that there really was a mighty wind. It said it was like a mighty wind. So we don't know exactly what the sound was, but it was enough to get their attention. And it was not only enough to get their attention, it was enough to get the attention of everybody in the surrounding area. And then to help them see that this inward act of the Holy Spirit baptizing them, and this Holy Spirit coming into their, their hearts and into their lives and to help them as a helper, little flames are what appeared to be like a flame. And the shape of a tongue was on the top of each of their heads. Now that's hard for me to imagine. But it's important that they have this, this physical representation there so they understood that what was happening to them inside their own hearts and filling with the Holy Spirit was happening to all these men in this upper room. It was an outward symbol that the Holy Spirit had come, and that he was there to be their helper and to be their guide. And then the third thing that took place in this event is that with this filling, they began speaking in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And it's important to note that in this particular piece, it's not a heavenly language that was spoken. Let's look at verse 5. Now they, there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together. So again, that rushing wind, whatever that sound was, it brought them all together. And they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we bear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in your own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others mocked and said, they are filled with new wine. These guys are drunk. So here we have the power of the Holy Spirit entering these individuals. And immediately they began speaking in a language that's not their own. A language that's not known to them. Truly, it had to be the power of, of the Holy Spirit that is providing this opportunity to share the mighty works of Jesus. To share the, the glory of God. At this point in time, they are not necessarily sharing the gospel in that particular native tongue, but they are expressing to people as they hear and as they walk by how great God is. And it would be bizarre to hear this amazing noise and to have to go find out what it is. And then you find these 120 people walking around 
and speaking in a language that's actually bringing people together. And speaking in various languages where people recognize that they were glorifying God. Now, if you think of the Old Testament, we think of the Tower of Babel where men came together and tried to make themselves as great as God. What did God do with their language? He confused their language. But this obviously is the power of God, because instead of allowing them to be confused as to what was happening, we see that this confusion is no longer existent and that these people are hearing in their own tongue how wonderful God is and how wonderful he is. But then you have your skeptics, right? Everywhere we go, there's skeptics. Same was so in this situation. These guys are drunk. I don't know about you, if you've been around drunk people, and I've not been around too many in my life, but they typically aren't making that kind of sense. Right? So here we are having these folks that are being mocked. And Peter, he stands up out of the 11. In verse 14 it says, But Peter, standing with the 11, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are drunk, as you suppose. Since it's only the third hour of the day, it's only nine o'clock. They're not drunk. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions. And your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I'll pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth. A man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him. I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ. And he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we all are witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus, whom you crucified. 
Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. So Peter could have stood there and argued with these people when they said, You guys are drunk. Instead, the Holy Spirit opened up his mouth and proclaimed the gospel. Again, the purpose of the Holy Spirit, the purpose of his coming, the purpose of him being our helper is in helping make disciples. And on this particular day, he challenged him with the idea that you are the same people that crucified this Jesus that I'm talking about today. But we're so thankful that God doesn't hold grudges. Amen. Mm -hmm. On that particular day, it could have been Jesus design that. If you had put me on the cross, I'm sorry, I never knew you, depart from me. However, as egregious as a sin as even taking our own Savior and putting him on the cross and wanting him to die is not enough for our God and for our Lord to look at you and say, I want you as my child. And to have that Holy Spirit working through these men to share that gospel with these people. Peter was there. He saw some of these people. These other disciples were there. They saw the hate in their eyes. They saw the frustration these people had towards Jesus. It could be very easy to look at this and turn their backs on them. However, the Holy Spirit's filling in their life caused them to recognize and to love these people with such a love that they presented the gospel. They didn't water it down. It was very clear. You guys are the ones that put him on the cross. And technically, when we think about it, all of our sin is what put Jesus on the cross. It wasn't just because they wanted him on the cross. It was what, what God's design was for us to have salvation. I'm so thankful, though, that in this particular message here on Pentecost Day, that it was a message of hope. It was a message of an opportunity for these individuals to recognize they had something that they needed to do, and that was to repent and ask God to forgive them of their sins. And I don't know about you, but it would be amazing to start out in a multitude of 120 people and by the end of the sermon recognize you've just added 3,000 new brothers to your family. That is the power of God, people. That is the power of the Holy Spirit that works in us. All of their preparation for Jesus and the baptism of the Spirit was all done to spread the gospel. Truly, we are empowered to ministry when we have the Holy Spirit in our lives. And it finally made sense. They finally recognized and understood what it is that Jesus meant when he said, I'm going to send you a helper. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit who will provide the words, who will provide the actions, who will provide the situations and the circumstances so that you can spread the gospel and share the gospel with others. So how does that apply to us today? Do we need a baptism of the Holy Spirit? Thankfully, we don't. Because... If you recall, at the end of that passage I just read in chapter 2, 
it says that once they ask Christ to forgive them of their sins and they receive salvation, they would also receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's not something that we need to actively seek out. It's something that we get immediately at the point of salvation. But why do we need the Holy Spirit today? Well, the same reason they needed the Holy Spirit back then. We are called to make disciples. You know, I think it was something that I didn't really grasp until my later teens is this idea that the Holy Spirit is the one that convicts. It's the Holy Spirit is the one that changes hearts. I grew up in church, and so we would have missionaries come, and the pastor would talk, and, and, and the church language was used that made me think that I had some part of salvation to offer people. I want to help you be saved. I want to help. I'm going to save you. But the reality is, is there's nothing I can do. It's all the Holy Spirit. He can use us as an instrument, as a tool to spread the gospel, but the reality is it's all up to the Spirit to change hearts. Just like it says in the chapter 2 here, that their hearts were pricked. Their hearts were made sensitive to the gospel. So there's other things that the Holy Spirit can help us with right now. As a Christian, the Holy Spirit can give us words when we need to share Christ. It's nerve-wracking to share the gospel. I don't know how many of you have tried to, to talk to your friends about Jesus and to spread the good news and to be able to say, look, I love you enough to share what Jesus has done for me. Because in our world today, it's not necessarily a message that's easily accepted. But the Holy Spirit will give you those words. The Bible tells us he's our comforter. He's our advisor. He encourages and strengthens us as we need it. And he will guide us in the way that we should go. Another important aspect of the Holy Spirit is he helps us to avoid sin. Maybe there's something in your life that you're struggling with. Did you know the Holy Spirit is there to encourage you to make a better choice? He brings us life and freedom. We have hope because of the Holy Spirit. And then a couple weeks ago, the kids got up here and sang to you about the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. All of those things the Spirit helps us with in our lives and helps us to, to actively pursue holiness. So we don't require a major event like Pentecost to know we have the Holy Spirit. It all starts with accepting Christ as your personal Savior. And maybe this morning you're here and you've never accepted Christ as your personal Savior. You don't know what that means exactly. But you know that there's something in your heart that needs to change. You know that you are lost. Well, we'd love to show you and share with you from the Word of God how it is to be saved. And how the Holy Spirit can work in your life. Maybe those of you in this congregation have accepted Christ as your personal Savior. Maybe today you're wondering, what do I need to do to revitalize the relationship I have with the Lord. Well, we'd love to pray with you. That's the first step. Talk to God. Give Him the opportunity to work in your life. Open your Bible. That's exactly how God speaks to us today, is through His Word. And take those opportunities to do that. But I really appreciate the opportunity this morning to talk about Pentecost and talk about the power of the Holy Spirit. And I just hope that it's something that's real in your life. Let's pray. Dearly Father, we just thank you so much, God, for this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you for 
the Holy Spirit, and the fact that He guides our steps, He guides our hearts, He guides our tongues. And we just ask now that if there's folks in our congregation this morning that have never accepted you, God, that they would start there this morning. We see that you have the power to change lives. You have the power to save us from a life without you. We ask as we continue to, to sing your praises this morning, focus on you, that you would bless this time together. In Jesus' name.